while back, um, probably about two or three weeks ago, I guess, maybe, a couple of weeks ago, um, David said, sent it, actually sent it to me and um, then played it for me. And that video is called Forgotten Christmas, as you saw. And let me give you the scenario of it. Um, they're having a, a gift party at the church. And everybody's at the front altar. They're unwrapping all the gifts. And you saw the wrapping paper begin to cover up the word. And then you see the little girl and an older gentleman sitting there. And the little girl turns around. And at the door of the church, through the glass door, she sees an Asian face of a young girl. And the little girl obviously is sad. And um, she looks back to the front and sees the party going on and looks back. And more and more of those faces appear at the glass door. And so she gets up and she stands at the glass door looking out at the people and, and wanting to let them in, but she doesn't have a key. And the older gentleman gets up, unlocks the door, and the people come in. And then in that scene, then people that were, had lost their way and the gifts and everything begin coming back and remembering what church is all about. And that is to lead people to Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's why Lottie Moon. Now, I haven't said a whole lot about Lottie Moon. I haven't had the opportunity to say a lot about Lottie Moon. But that's just an, an incredible opportunity. Folks, this world, including America, by the way, desperately needs Jesus Christ. I, I said this morning, man, I said again, he really is the answer. He, he's our only hope. It really is. And, um, and unless, unless we in America turn back to God, we're going to walk further away. We're going to walk further away. And, and frankly... It's not a very pretty picture, our future, unless God intervenes. So we have Annie Armstrong for North American Missions and our cooperative program dollars. We have uh, the Lottie Moon to help tell this world about Jesus Christ. And it's so important that we don't lose Jesus at this time of year. Amen? Now, with, that kind of leads into tonight. About, what, three weeks ago maybe? Three weeks ago, we were preaching from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And um, we didn't make it to verse number two, and I said we would say that um, for another time, and tonight's that night. Now, let me just kind of give you about a, a, a two-minute synopsis of Hebrews 12.1. It says this, and, and, and we're not, not sure who wrote Hebrews. Some people think Paul. Um, uh, others think others, obviously. But, but here's what Hebrews 12.1 says. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And you know, if you know your Bible just a little bit, that Hebrews chapter 11 is this incredible chapter of people who walk with God. And the incredible part is, none of them are perfect. I mean, even Rahab the harlot, it made Hebrews chapter 11 the faith hall of fame. A, a prostitute. There's David there. There's, there's just so many, and none of them were perfect. And yet, in their imperfection, they still trusted God and they still followed after God. And that's a real encouragement to us. So, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, the author says, let us lay aside every weight. And we said that day that those are hindrances. It could be a busy calendar. It could be a job that simply is demanding too much of you. Or perhaps a desire to succeed is demanding so much of you that you spend all your time and energy in a world that really could not care. And there's very little left for God. So, so the author's saying, lay aside every weight. A weight may not necessarily be a sin, but something that would hinder you from being a fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, and the sin that so easily besets us. Uh, most, again, a lot of theologians believe that there's a besetting sin. That there's a sin, that there's a kink in our armor that, that we are particularly um, subject to, that we're particularly weak in. 
And it, it varies from person to person. And, and the author is saying, be careful to, to, to get that this setting sin, that weakness that you have. It could be unforgiveness. It could be anger. It could be jealousy. It could be judgment. It could be so many things. Keep that thing in check. Be especially sensitive unto that. And then we're to run with patience the race set before who? Us. Everybody has a different race. Uh, mine, I'm very blessed to say, mine was called to be a pastor. It's a great privilege of mine to be a pastor. Dave is in, in worship. Um, we all have different races. And what the cool part is, is not everyone is called to be vocationally full-time, but, but we're all called to be full-time Christians. See, and Charlie, I looked at you, and, and you, your mission fills the bank and the people you run into there. And some of you, and this is a very appropriate statement, some of you work at the school. And within the parameters of the crazy laws that we have today with the government, you need to be a Christian witness at school. If nothing else, living out Jesus Christ, the way you treat people um, so different from the world. So wherever that might be, we are to run that race out being like Christ. And then that leads us into verse number two, which simply says this. Looking unto Jesus... The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, uh, for him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. And what I want to do is take about 15 minutes and just break that verse down to encourage us at this Christmas season to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Especially at a time when he's supposed to be the reason for the season. So look at. Looking unto Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. I'm deciding what order to use the illustration that I've got. But in, in the hymn book, uh, this has been hymn day. Have you noticed that? It's hymn day. Um, in page 320, and I could probably do it from memory, but you never would trust yourself when you're 58. It says this. Now listen carefully. Old soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. And the course goes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. See, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of the world will go strangely dim. I thought about a sad but poignant uh, illustration. When the little kids, the surviving children, were being led out of Sandy Hook Elementary School. They had the children put their hands on the person in front of them, on their shoulder, and then had them close their eyes. And the teacher led them out of the school with their eyes closed and their hands on each other's shoulder, shielding them from the carnage that was around them. The reason we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, it shields us from the carnage that is around us. So, so Dwayne, when we look at Jesus, what do we see? We, we see Jesus Christ, our guide. We see, we see the one, our leader, the, the trailblazer, the one who's showing us how to walk in this world. 
Um, I, I love the story of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And it goes something like this. As Jesus passed on from there, when, when, when he went on from where he was, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Here, here was a man who by all standards was the lowest of the lowest upon scum of society. And Jesus simply looked and said, follow me. And every indication is that we have from Matthew is that from that day forward, he kept his eyes on Jesus, Blair. He followed Jesus Christ. Leaving behind, by the way, a very lucrative career to follow Jesus Christ. And yet over in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, the Bible says this about another disciple. You'll recognize him. But Peter followed at a distance. Peter followed at a distance. Peter received the same call as from the Lord Jesus as Matthew did. But Peter was a, a very um, impetuous person, uh, very acted on spontaneously. You know, he had just said, you know, I'll never deny you, I'll never deny you, I'll never deny you. And they get in the garden and they arrest him. And Peter follows at a distance. As they, as they lead Jesus Christ away to, to be tried, he follows at a distance. And what happens just, just after that? I do not know him. I do not know him. I tell you, I do not know him. He denied the very man they loved. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. As your guide. Follow him. If necessary, visually in your mind, place your hands on his shoulder. Close your eyes and trust him to lead you through life. But also he's our example. Our example. There's an incredible scripture that loses its power because of our perception of Jesus Christ and what he did. Here's what this verse says. Hebrews 4.15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But listen. But was in all points, but was in all points, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, the power of that verse is, is that Jesus Christ, 100% man and yet 100% God, walked through this life totally being tempted and totally obeying his Father. You know how he did that? Well, Dwayne, he was God. You've got to get past that. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the power that enabled him to say no to sin is the same power that we have today. And so the, the author of Hebrews, again, in, in chapter 4, is saying, Now listen, listen. As you walk through this world, keep your eyes on Jesus. He's our example. And just like he had the power by the Holy Spirit to say no, guess what? You can too. You can too. We can too. Now, very important. Because I know I've got the Sunday night crowd here. Well, actually, we've got a great crowd. We've got some folks. It was just a good crowd. And a mixture of Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every point in between. And we may not be tempted in some of the atomic bomb sense, okay? But we're amazingly tempted and those little foxes that steal the grapes. The bitterness and the lying and the anger and the jealousy and the judgmental spirits and the rotten chucking. Those kind of things. That's our temptations. And so we need to look to Jesus our example. And when Satan whispers in our ear and say, that's not right. And you're tempted to speak in a harsh way. 
The same Holy Spirit that helped Jesus is there to help you too. Amen? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Here's what I wrote down. It starts with him and it ends with him. Have you got that recently in our teaching? Because I know, I know, I know, we have a tendency today to, to see God as a performance lover and, lover and that somehow that he, is, he accepts us more when we obey. You are perfectly accepted in the blood. Nothing you can do can change that. You can't add to your salvation. You can't take away from your salvation. It was all 100% Jesus Christ. He did in fact pay it all. He started it. He ended it in every place. In between. In the book of Revelation 21, 6 through 8, it says this. And he said, It is finished. And all God's people said, It is. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. To everyone, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious, will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. It's all Him. It's all Him. But did you notice that condition there? All who are victorious will inherit. So you ask the question, are you victorious? Do you have the right to inheritance? Are you victorious? And you go, oh boy, do I not? No, no, not, not always, boy, Dwayne. I, I stumble and fall. Ah, you've got the wrong perception. Can we turn to another old hymn? I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about His groaning of His precious blood atoning. Then I did what? I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew Him and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. You are victorious, but not because of your efforts. You are victorious, but not because of your obedience or disobedience. You are victorious, but not because of your habits. You are victorious because Jesus Christ is victorious and His victory is yours. You are, in fact, victorious. Go home with that tonight. Go home with that tonight. When Satan comes in tomorrow to your life and tries to tell you that you have failed and you are a failure, you are victorious because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I will make something really clear. Tell you what else I wrote in the old sheet. It said, if it doesn't, if it doesn't what, Dwayne? If it doesn't start with him and end with him, in other words, if somehow you've mixed in there your own blend of works, well, here's what verse 8 says in that chapter of Revelation. But cowards, unbelievers, corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars... Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. If your salvation doesn't end or start and end with Jesus Christ, warning, Will Robinson, warning. It has to be all Christ. If you're trusting in your works tonight, you don't have a great salvation. You need Jesus 100% all the way. 
Amen? Then he says this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised and shame. Oh, you know what we talked about this morning, Mike? We talked about joy. Christmas joy. Who for the joy that was set before him. wondered that. How did Jesus go to the cross? Understanding that he endured the cross. Um, Roman, in, in those times, a crucifixion was called the, the death, the, the death of all deaths. It's an incredibly hard death. I mean, the fact that Jesus Christ made it to the cross is nothing more than miraculous. The cross was something to endure. But don't lose sight, despising the shame. I'm so glad God included 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin, now get this, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. So the shame of it all was is that Jesus Christ had the sins of the world. In fact, you could say, according to 2 Corinthians, that he became that sin. And the wrath of God, his judgment, was all poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered how he could do that? How could holy God have all that sin poured on him? How could a human being endure such torture? For the joy that was set before him. See, what you know determines what you can do. What you know determines what you can do. Now again, I'm obviously using several scriptures tonight. Let me just relate to you a wonderful scripture from John chapter 13. Watch the key words. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Jesus knew his hour had come, and it's time for him to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2 is kind of some, some just some information. And supper being ended... The devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and knowing that he had come from God, and knowing that he was going to God, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and he poured water in a basin and began to wipe the disciples' feet. To wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. What you know determines what you can do. Jesus knew the sovereignty of God. His hour had come. His hour was not controlled by the Pharisees. His hour was not controlled by circumstances. Hey, your hour is not controlled by people. Your hour is not controlled by circumstances. Your life, whether it's in Nicaragua or Haiti or Mali or Uganda, wherever it might be, your life is in the hands of Almighty God. Knowing that He had come from the Father, He could look back and see eternity past, His position with the Father. Knowing He was going back to the Father, 
to be returned to his glory, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was able to get up and do the job of the lowest servant to wash the disciples' feet. That's good for us to know. Because, see, we live for here now. He lived for the joy somewhere beyond that last breath. He knew what was waiting on him. And may I say, brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. We indeed are passing through. You, you pour everything you are into this world, and it stays here. You pour everything you are into the next world, and it'll be there waiting on you. And I can't, listen, some of the best teachers in the Bible can't explain that. But Jesus taught over and over and over again that there's some kind, it's more than, it's more than a beam of crown, it's more than a, an olive branch, it's more of a crown that we're going to cast at Ephesians. Somehow, there's a reward up there that we can't imagine. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow Him. Understand, as believers in Jesus Christ, there is a joy up there that will motivate us down here. What you know determines what you do. Can you forgive someone who's not worthy of forgiveness? Knowing that you'll hear Jesus say, it's great. That's what I would have done. Can you, can you forego a new beamer? Knowing that those dollars could maybe lead a child to Jesus? Knowing that one day the father would say, well done? Yeah. yeah. Amen? Sure. Sure. But the deal is, is getting your eyes on the joy after the last breath. Because here's what happens. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, now the illustration that day, and of Hebrews 12 and 2, is that of the race. Remember, you, you strip down for the run. You don't want any hindrances. You don't want any sin. You need to be able to run. And so you take away all the hindrances away. And you run that race with patience. That's the whole theme of this. And every race has a finish line. I thought that was pretty profound. Every race has a, You know, if it's a 100-yard dash, it's got a finish line. If it's 220 or 440, it's got a finish line. If it's 26 point Three miles, marathon, it has a finish line. And our life has a finish line. And what matters is the finish line. You know, do you remember you were just reading to me out of your book, The Life You've Always Wanted About the Marathon Runners? In the California Marathon, everybody, there's all these thousands of runners. And what was the dude's name, the clown, the tea clown or something? There was, a, there, was a, there was a runner there dressed up like a clown, and he was all high-fiving the crowd, you know, before the start of the race. And there was even a team, that, that eight team, that formed a centipede. And they were going to run the race as a centipede, the marathon, 20, 25, 6 miles, whatever it is. And he goes on to say that, you know, they were all, woo-hoo-hoo, at the start. And then a few miles down the road, you know, Mr. Clown, he wasn't high-fiving nobody. And a centipede... They were all leaning over the fence losing their cookies. <laughs> it's not the start that matters. It's the finish. And this life is a marathon. But there's coming a finish line. 
And if we keep our eyes on Christ, we can finish victoriously, practically in this life to see our Savior. Well done. Good and faithful. We can live the holidays. We can celebrate Christmas. Enjoy all the festivities. Keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? We've wound down now to the time right before the Lord's Supper. The observant. And this is different than any one we do um, throughout the year. There's about two or three things that are, that are different. First off, let me say, I know we have some guests tonight. We're just so glad that you're here. You know, we practice an open communion. In other words, we believe the Bible teaches that the table is open to all believers in Jesus Christ. You do not have to be a Baptist nor a member of the Dorsville Baptist Church. A believer is entitled to take the supper. So, so if you're here tonight and you're our guest, you are more than welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper. Each one of you, we hope, has a card with a bow. And we've done this now for several, several years and, and what we want to do is, is we want to encourage you. And no, I was thinking, you don't need to write a thing on this card. If you want to, you can. But I want you to take just a moment while I'm, while I'm talking and think about what gift could you give Jesus tonight. Remember I said this morning, I said something that could cost you everything but nothing out of your wallet. What, what could you bring? What, what could you bring to the Father, to the Lord Jesus tonight, knowing what he did? Listen to the words of this little song. I'll read it to you. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I give him my heart. What we want to do is, and there's no hurry, we're going to have the team come on up, and after I get done talking and praying, um, they're going to be singing for us. Our deacons will be at the table. And uh, as always, you'll have two cups stacked together. The first will have the bread, and the juice will be in the bottom cup. Or vice versa, I'm sorry, I had that words. Bread on the bottom, juice on top. And uh, just come up, bring your card, and you can place it under the Christmas tree, really on the altar. Um, I hope you'll use this side also without the Christmas tree. Lay your card on the altar, then go by one of our tables and get your elements for the Lord's Supper and return to your seat. Now, if everyone's had a chance to pray and think about what they want to do tonight... Um, then we'll take the elements of the Lord's Supper together um, at the end of the service. But what, what can you give? Um, you know, last year we talked about, I would like to make a commitment to read the Word of God every day in 2013. That's a good commitment to make. Um, I want to read the Bible through. I want to read the New Testament through. Um, those are good commitments. Um, there might be a financial commitment you need to make tonight. Um, there, there might be a talent commitment. We are so need of teachers and leaders um, in our church, perhaps you say, God, I'm, you know how busy I am, God, but I know this, you're worthy of my best, and I want to give you uh, the gift of time and talent this year. So perhaps that's something you want to give. It could be that God's speaking to your heart about something in your life that needs to go. Um, it may be you're addicted to certain amounts of television. It might be certain other elements that your hobbies or sports or whatever, that you spend a huge portion of your time. There's nothing wrong uh, base, in, in basics, in essence, with TV or with, with golf or, or baseball or football, whatever it might be. Um, but when it owns you, there is a problem. Or, in the case of television, when it's things that pollute our mind, then there becomes something like that. So maybe 
You want to give that to God tonight. You want to say, God, I want to lay aside this hindrance. That's what I want to give. Now, again, let, let me tell you, if you choose to write down in your card, okay, no one's going to read them. They'll be gathered up in the bag and, and put in the garbage. This one, you and God. If you want to just bring a blank card up, no one in your heart can make a commitment, that's also wonderful tonight. So I'd like to have a time of word of prayer. And then as you feel led, there's no hurry tonight. We've got tons of time. As you feel led, I'm going to ask you to rise from your seat. If you're in the middle of an aisle, just say, excuse me, and they'll let you by. And you come and lay your card on the altar. And we have two tables set up. Go to one or the other table. Uh, get your elements. Return to your seat. And after everyone's had a chance to come, um, then I will lead us in, in the elements of the Lord's Supper. And we'll just be dismissed tonight. All right? It's a wonderful, wonderful time for you to give a wonderful gift to your Savior. All right? Can I lead us in time of prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you for a wonderful day. And um, thank you for a wonderful portion of Scripture, both this morning and tonight. Father, I really do almost feel we need to close our eyes sometime. We get so distracted in the world. We get our eyes focused on things besides you, and, and we see carnage. We see junk. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. The author and the finisher, the beginning and the end of our salvation and our faith. Yes, yes, you despised the cross. Yes, you despised its shame and you endured the pain and you did it for us. We're not particularly wealthy people. And it's not about money, God. It's about our heart. So, Father, whatever part of our heart you don't own, may we bring it to the altar tonight and give it to you. So have your way in this time. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name.